Okay, so what would you do if I came to your house and asked to use your iPad or your computer if you have one, or some kind of expensive um, piece of electronic equipment? And like, I'm, I'm assuming all of you would say yes, uh, because you're all pretty nice people. And then, and you're probably expecting that I would need to write a sermon or look up a scripture passage or something like that, because I work at a church. Um, but then, once you gave it to me, I have a backpack, I pull out of my backpack some cucumbers and onions and a knife, and I started cutting those things on, using your, your electric, electronic device to cut those things on it. You'd be really upset. Why? Because that's not what it's for. <laughs> that's not what an iPad is used for. An iPad is, is used for, well, it's too expensive to be used as a cutting board, um, for one. But that's not what it's for. But I am using it for something else. In real life, it seems that we like to do this like ourselves. We, we were made for a purpose. We were made to um, serve God, to love God, to be good to the people around us, to um, be a contributing member of society, to live a fruitful life is what we're talking about today. But so often we do things with ourselves or just do things um, and, and live, a, live our life in a way that we're not created for. In real life, you know, I could use a funny example like I just used, but it really can be a no laughing matter um, to see things used contrary to the purpose that they were made for. Um, and and just one thing I think about is in, in uh, Buena, Buena Vista, how I've heard people say it in different ways. I'm not from here. Um, there's an old church building that's now used as a visitor center. Um, and even throughout, just riddled throughout our city, there's a, tons of church buildings that have been turned into apartment buildings or have just been knocked down. The, the building that we met before I was here, but the building we met in before this was knocked down and turned into apartments, land that was once used to be a place for God's people to gather and sing his praises is now being used for a far lesser purpose. It's sad. But even sadder is when God's people, when people redeemed by Christ, fail to live for the purpose which he saved us for. When we drift through life like unredeemed people, living to either accumulate more stuff um, that it, it, we're not going to be able to bring with us before we die or when we die, or to um, gain some certain amount of um, uh, rapport in, in, from people or whatever it is that we're searching for outside of the love of God, it's really sad to see people live their lives or we live our lives for purposes that were not intended. And so in our text today, in John chapter 15, Jesus gives the disciples an allegory, an extended allegory that reveals God's purpose in saving them. He wants them to bear fruit in their lives. He pictures himself as the true vine. He pictures the father as the vine dresser or the gardener and the disciples as the branches. Christ's true followers abided him as branches in the true vine so that we can bear fruit. That is our purpose, and that is what our passage will reveal to us today. Now, just to give you a quick little background on where we're going to be at in John 15, it falls right in the middle of what is called the upper room discourse, which is just kind of the last um, lessons and, and, and stories and, and metaphors and allegories that um, Jesus chooses to teach his disciples right before he goes to be crucified. So think of this as like one of Christ's final word, like he's getting ready to go, he's getting ready to leave them, and this is one of the big things that he wants to leave them with. So this is an important teaching. All stories and, and lessons in the Bible are important teachings, but this is right before Jesus dies, so it's special in that way. Uh, read with me, follow along with me in John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes, and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. 
You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Before I move on to my first point, I kind of want to just set up this analogy. There's um, deeper meaning in this analogy behind, behind just what's like on the page. Obviously, we will dig into the different parts of it, who the, the vine dresser is and who the gardener is, all that kind of stuff. But when Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser, he's really linking this back, like Jesus is using this analogy to link it back to the people of Israel. In the Old Testament, Israel is often referred to as God's vine that he planted. It became a national symbol that was in their art, on their coins, um, just everywhere. They were understood to be God's vine, that God was going to carry his purposes out through this vine, that he was the gardener that planted this vine of Israel to carry out his saving purposes for the world. world. Uh, m- multiple, there are multiple um, instances in, in Isaiah and in, in the Psalms um, where, where this picture of Israel being God's vine and failing to bear fruit, and so the analogy goes to where God punishes Israel, buries the vine, or, or, or uh, burns the vine, destroys the vine, because they don't carry out his purposes. And so when Jesus chooses to use this analogy, it's not just like, here's a good way to think about who I am and what's going on. It's linking, the, linking it back to the original plan that God had to use Israel to save his people, and now he's claiming to be the true vine for it to be used by God's purposes. And so this passage has like historical roots before when Jesus even said it, and that's really important for us to understand because the disciples really would have taken that um, for a deeper meaning than just what's on the surface level of the story. But what we're talking about today, what Jesus is talking about here is to live a fruitful life and how to live a fruitful life, why to live a fruitful life. And there's three truths that we're going to explore um, from this story um, based on the characters that Jesus used in the um, analogy. And the first is to live a fruitful life, we must first know and understand and believe that God is the gardener. God owns the vineyard and he takes care of the vines. He cuts off the dead branches and prunes the ones that bear fruit so they will bear more fruit. And he is in control of the whole process as the owner. And he expects fruit from his vineyard and he does what is necessary for it to bear fruit. This means that he is the sustainer of the vineyard. Now, just think of like if you, if you maybe some of you are here are skilled gardeners. You plant stuff that actually grows things. Um, I have yet to do that. I'm not, I don't have the green thumb, but I know there are people in here that do. And if you, if you just put a seed in the ground and then just leave it, it's probably not going to do something. It's probably not going to do anything. But if you tend to it, if you take care of it, if you put it in the right place where the sunlight is going to hit it, or you, or you plant it in the right um, uh, climate that it's supposed to be in, and, and water the right amount that you're supposed to have, that's, it's going to do what it's supposed to do. And that is God for us. God is our life sustainer. He is our provider and our planter, he, and he knows what he is doing. He knows what we need as our gardener. He knows where he's put us is where we need to be. He knows what he's given us is what we need to have to eat, to, to live, to live a fruitful life. 
God knows what he's doing. He doesn't waste his time. He doesn't plant his vine in, in, to, to grow his branches to waste any time or to waste... Um, he's, not, he's not doing anything to just waste time, guys. And sometimes, I think that we try and play the role of this gardener. I think sometimes we think that we can provide all that we need for ourselves. Or we know where we're supposed to be planted. Or we know uh, more than what God knows he is doing. But the reality is, is that we... This, this passage is imploring us, God or Jesus is imploring us to embrace him as our true gardener, as our provider, that he knows that where you are planted is where God wants you to be, to embrace where you're at, is where he wanted you to be, to, to, thri- to thrive and to bear good fruit for him. And we're going to talk about what we mean by good fruit and abide later. But the first thing that we need to embrace here in this passage is that God is our gardener and he knows what he's doing. He also prunes and cuts, and I don't, we're not going to pass over that. We're going to talk about that later. Um, but that's another part of him being our gardener. So the first thing is to live a fruitful life. We must first know and most more so embrace that God is our gardener. He's our provider, our purposeful planter. The second thing is that Jesus is the true vine. We dipped into that that when he tells his disciples he's the true vine, he means that he's unlike faithless Israel. Jesus is the ideal, true realization of all that God intended for his people. He's the thing, he's the plant that God is using to carry out his purposes. He's the epitome of what God wanted, wants his people to be. Jesus brought forth the fruit that Israel failed to produce. So there's two big claims here that I want to point out that Jesus is making when he says that he's the vine. He's saying that I am the center of the gardener's plan. I am the way that people get to be a part of what God is doing. I am what God is using to carry out his purposes in this world now. And the second thing is that I am the source of the branch's power. Fruit from our lives has nothing to do with us. He says we can, without him we can do nothing. Fruit from our lives has nothing to do with us but all from Jesus. It's all from Jesus for Jesus's glory. So to live fruitful life, we must know that God is the, great, is the gardener. Jesus is the true vine. He is the one that, is, that God is using to carry out his purposes. And our, bigger, long, the, our longest point is going to be that to live a fruitful life, we must remember that we are branches, that we are just branches. So bearing fruit is the main theme and the main purpose and goal of this analogy. We see it both negatively and positively in this passage. So what does it mean to bear fruit? Like This is one of these Christianese things that gets thrown around all the time. And there's a couple of these in, in this passage, actually, of those Christianese sayings that we just like to say, but don't actually get to really expound on it a lot. What does it mean to bear fruit? So it, widely in the New Testament, in this context, it primarily refers to whatever the life of Christ produces in and through you, in and through the believer who lives in close fellowship with him. This includes obedience to his commandments. This includes loving your neighbor. Extends to, it extends to all godly behavior. And the easiest way that I think about it is thinking about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Um, and it, it Bearing fruit is to produce disciples, to share um, your witness with people around you, the good that God has done to you and for you, to spread spread the good news. Sum it up, fruit is Christ-like character, Christ-like conduct, and Christ-like converts. Christ-like character, 
Christ-like conduct, and Christ-like converts. Now, obviously, like all this is super ideal, and, and maybe you haven't seen every single one of these things show up in your life perfectly today. And the reality of this and the reality of just fruit is that it takes time for fruit to bear. So I don't want to say this and for you to feel discouraged that maybe you haven't had this perfect, like you haven't baptized 30 million people and you haven't, and you're, not the most, you're not the most patient person all the time. So don't despair, don't be let down that all these qualities aren't fully developed in your life yet. But if you are a follower of Christ, we should strive, we should push to see growth or progress in these things to see fruit come from our lives. We want to be in the habit of obeying Christ. We want to be in the habit, the kind of people that embody the fruit of the Spirit, to be a loving and joyful person, a patient person, a person that embodies self-control. And if you're not seeing any of these fruits in your life, let's figure out why not. That's why Caleb and I do what we do. I would love to buy coffee for one or ten of you to freaking talk about this stuff. I'm passionate about it. I'm sorry I used the F word. Uh, <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, growth in Christ-like fruit should be the normal experience and what we hope for in our lives. And I want to help you with it. That's why I use the F word. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> the good F word. <laughs> fruit. <laughs> and also, another thing to just not be discouraged, the kind of fruit that you're going to see in your lives is going to vary by who you are. The, the fruit that, that I bear is going to be very different from the fruit that Caleb bears, from the fruit that Alex bears, and from the fruit that Olivia bears. Like, we're all made in God's image and, and called to bear fruit, but different fruit. We've all, we all have different spiritual gifts, different ways that God has formed us to be, to show his glory to the world and bear fruit to the world. And so, if you see Caleb baptizing everyone every year and feel discouraged that you're not doing that, that's just that's just how God's using Caleb right now. That doesn't mean God's not using you at that moment. It's all for his glory. Whether you're up here preaching or you're at work typing on a computer but get to tell people about what, what God is doing in your life, it's all for his glory. <clears throat> okay, so now the hard part. There's some scary stuff said in this passage that is highly debated. There's, there's the branches that do not bear fruit that are cut off and thrown into the fire. We've got to talk about that. It's there. There's two verses in here. Verse 2, it says, Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And then in verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them, and they're cast into the fire and burned. And like I said, there is big debate on the meaning of these verses. So we do need to examine them carefully so that we apply them correctly in our lives and we can understand God and his heart more. So, so some would understand verse 2 from a uh, face value to teach that believers may lose their salvation. Now, I hope that I don't need to spend much time refuting that since it contradicts so much clear scripture. Eternal life is eternal, not temporary. In John 6, 39 through 40, Jesus makes it clear that he will not lose any that the Father gives to him, but he will give them eternal life and raise them up on the last day. Another in John, I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So this isn't saying that believers can lose their salvation, can lose their faith. But in the allegory, there's two types of branches. Some do bear fruit, some do not bear fruit. And those that do not bear fruit are not fulfilling their purposes. They're dead wood. They get cut off, thrown into the fire. They represent those who profess to believe in Jesus, but their lives give no evidence 
of saving faith. They don't bear fruit. Now, in the context, we could see if we read farther on in John or, far, or back in John, that it would f- refer immediately to Judas Iscariot, who professed to believe, followed Jesus for three years, and went out preaching in his name. But the reality was his real God was greed. I'm not saying it applies just to Judas. This is, real, this is a real example. Um, in support of this, in verse 3, Jesus tells the 11 that you are, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And that takes us back again in John, where after the foot washing, Jesus said, and you are clean, but not all of you. And he was referring to Judas. But then there's the phrase, and this is where it takes away that it's just Judas. It's not just Judas. Then there's the phrase that says, all those that are in me. That sounds like it describes someone who is in a true believer, someone that is in God. But guys, this is an allegory or an analogy. And the fact of the matter is the main things that are plain things that we can't press every point in such figures of speech. We can't use every figure of speech to mean exactly how we define it. So like in Matthew chapter 3, I'm just, I'm using scripture to to defend scripture right now. I'm, I'm, I'm helping to understand what God is saying. So I know I'm jumping around a lot, but stay with me. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist reams out the Pharisees who thought that being children of Abraham would get them into God's kingdom, even though their lives did not bear the fruit of repentance, he tells them. Therefore, therefore, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. There's more in Romans 11. I can tell that I'm over-explaining this, but since Jesus is the true vine, the fulfillment of how Israel is pictured in the Old Testament, the branches in him that are taken away and cast into the fire do not represent true believers, people that have real faith for God, but rather those that have a fake identity of, of a Christian. They lack the genuine evidence and love for Christ. They lack the evidence, the fruit that they are believers. They lack Christ-likeness. They lack the desire for God. They lack, uh, they're like those that James speaks about when they say that they have faith but no works. Their claim is just bogus. But notice that it's not the other branches that are throwing the bad branches away. It is God who judges. It is God who is throwing the branches, the, the, the branches that are not living into their purposes away. So the purpose behind understanding this text isn't for you and me to go pick out the people around us that we think are dead branches. Yes, we can use this to encourage people, hey, we as Christ lovers and Christ followers ought to be living to have good fruit in our lives. But I'm not going to go around after this. We're not going to have a poll and, and have you fill out how many good fruits you have in your life. That's not our job. God is the judge. Okay, <laughs> hard stuff is over. Hope I didn't confuse you. Um, Caleb has a couple degrees, a couple more degrees than me, so ask him if I didn't, if I did. But what about the branches that do bear fruit? What about the branches that are truly God's people? The branches that bear fruit, he says, are pruned so that they will bear much fruit. Now we got to note the progression. In verse 2, the Father prunes the branches to bear fruit so that they will bear more. In verse 5, the branches uh, that abide in Christ bear much fruit. And then at the end, finally, the, the the vine dresser wants you to bear much fruit. This points to the process that is involved for us to be able to bear fruit. He says he prunes them so they could, they could produce more and more fruit. Jesus clean, cleanses us. And actually, in, in this passage, he, says, he uses the word cleans and prunes. And they're actually from the same Greek root word. And so Jesus cleans us. He washes us. He prunes us. He cuts things out of our life so that we can bear much fruit. He says, you are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. And clean, like I said, is using the same Greek um, root as prune. 
He's saying that I've already cleaned them in the sense of salvation, but there's a continual cleaning. Like, it's not like I'm saved, I accept Christ, and I'm this crazy, beautiful apple tree. It's you're saved, you're planted, and you're being watered, and you may have a couple leaves, and then he keeps pruning you, and then you keep growing, and you keep growing, and then you can bear much fruit. We're saved, we're planted, we're watered, we're washed, but we, there's a continual washing that happens in our lives. This is called sanctification. God is constantly cleaning and pruning us so that we can bear fruit. Now, this obviously isn't like, like a comfortable thing all the time. Like, just think about it. Like, if I'm cutting things out of your lives, I'm not a gardener. Like I, I like I already I already established, but the very from the very simple um, definition of pruning is to literally cut things off, and so as as people coming into or bringing into our faith into our life with Christ, we bring in a lot of baggage, we bring in a lot of of dump and the bad stuff, and God wants to cut that away from our lives and is cutting that away from our lives, not just to hurt us not to take away the things that we once liked, but to bear more fruit in our lives. So we must submit to God taking the things out of our lives that are not going to allow us to bear fruit for him. Pruning isn't pleasant when it happens, but it yields a bigger, better crop of fruit in the long run. There's one other key concept in these verses, another Christianese thing that we need to talk about if we want to bear fruit. As branches in the true vine, we're still in the branches point, I told you it's the longest point, we must abide in Christ. There's another verb that we use all the time that it's like, what does that even mean, dude, abide? In, our, in the CSB, he says remain. In uh, this passage, it's used 11 times in John 15, in John's gospel, it's used 40 times. In John's epistle, or epistles, it's used 27 times. So this is like John's buzzword, one of them. Abide in me and I in you is probably more like abide in me and see that I abide in you. Remain in me and see that I remain in you. In other words, live in such a manner that you are home, at home in me and that I can be at home in you. It's much the same as John 14, 23, where he said that both he and the Father would come into, would make their home in the one who keeps his word with them. Now, I think that this is just so beautiful. The big thing that I want you guys to see here is that he says that he remains with us, that God is living with us. God is living in you. God is like, like with you, remaining in you. He's for you and he isn't leaving you alone. The picture that I see here and trying to paint for you here is that basically of us continually submitting to his abiding in us. Like if you are a Christ follower, God is with you. Christ is with you and us abiding in him is continually submitting to him, creating his home in us, creating us more like him to bear fruit. Inherent in that concept is that we are in a long-term, close, growing relationship with Jesus. He's looking at the overall direction of our lives. And to know him as our Lord and Savior means that we invite him to, to move into our lives and to live there permanently. And just think about when you live with someone permanently, oh, over time, you learn what they're like. You learn to live your life in a way that like, fits theirs. We are actually, we're watch, watching a friend's dog right now, and we have dogs too. And this dog probably, like the grand scope of things, is probably a better behaved dog than ours. But because he does, he, she's not used to our uh, rhythms of life, she's kind of worse. But if 
if Ava were to stay with us for a long time, if she were to stay with us for, for months and years, then, she would, then we would understand how Ava lives and we could live according to how Ava lives or she could live according to how we live because we are humans. She is not. Um, there's one thing to, to tell you guys. Don't adjust, adjust, have the dog adjust their life to yours, not your life to the dog's. That's my philosophy of having pets. Um, tangent there. But as we, as we continually submit to and learn about who Christ is and, and, and what he's doing in us, we can more fully grow into these beautiful trees that he is growing us to be, these beautiful vines that he is growing us to be. The abiding relationship imply, implies dependence on him. Um, for apart from me, you can do nothing, is what he says. But it's not effortless. It's not a passive matter as it's sometimes taught. I, I hear people say, uh, things like, just as the branch effortlessly lets the life of the vine flow through it, so you are to do nothing. Or if you're striving, you're not abiding. And I can see the heart behind those things. I can see what people are saying, but that kind of teaching, I think, is out of balance. The Bible talks in multiple places about striving against sin. Paul said that he labored and strived for Christ, but added, did so according to his power, which mightily works within him. So he pictured the life as a battle, a fight, as, a, as an athletic contest. And so, and so it's not just, just let go and let God. Actually, my first sermon here, I was sending my outline to Caleb and, and let go and let God was the title. And he said, nope. <laughs> and I've grown and I've learned that that is not a good thing to believe because we have stake in the game, in the abiding relationship with Jesus. Okay, so what does this practically look like? Okay, I've talked about submitting to him and letting him live with you, a lot of Christianese things, but it's reality. Like a lot of things are Christianese because they're, they end up being they're good things that we want to repeat to ourselves. Some things are bad, like go and let God. But here, um, let's talk about practically what it means to abide in Christ. And you could probably list these for me. It's prayer. It's involving God daily and talking to him with the things, about, uh, the things in your life letting him know your needs, letting him know your concerns, letting him know your joys, just speaking with him. It's worship. It's coming here on Sundays and, and turning your hearts unto him and, and following the worship leaders when they're singing and listening to the words and proclaiming that tr those truths to God. Or just in your life, you live your, a life of worship, a life in submission to what God wants for you. It's scripture reading and memorization. It's digging into the word of God. He said, let my words... Or, uh, if, when you let my word remain in you, is that what he said? Don't want to. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So remaining in God's words and in his word, being in scripture and memorizing and let it be, become a part of us. This is how we abide in God. It's fellowship with his people. It's hanging out with the people here. It's one thing that God is with you personally, but God is among us. And those are two beautiful but distinctly unique ideas. Like when we are together in the name of the Lord, Christ is with us and present with us in a really cool, unique way. And that in abiding in him is embracing that. It's fasting, which is abstaining from food and really proving to the world that all we need is Christ, is that without him, we could do nothing. But with him, we could do anything. Philippians 4.13. It's feasting. That's my favorite one. It's celebrating. Like, uh, and we can think of our big celebrations like Christmas and, and Easter where we celebrate his birth and his resurrection. Or we can even think about just in our lives having parties and, and dinners and stuff to celebrate what God's doing in our life. And in communion. Every week, we take communion. In, every, every week we take communion, we see this beautiful balance of our abiding in him and, and, and him in us. 
We partake. We eat the bread and drink the juice. But he is the one doing the beautiful work in us, in it. Taking communion is a physical act that represents a spiritual reality. Now, every week we take communion. If you are a Christ follower, I want to welcome you to take communion with us. And there are cups and styrofoam crackers um, in the... Hey, they're actually being upgraded soon, so eat them up (laughs) Uh, at at the front. But every week we take communion, we celebrate this reality that God is with us, that God is, or that Jesus is God's true vine and carrying out the purposes of salvation and pruning and cleaning in our lives. So this morning, as you take the bread and drink the juice, embrace this reality of abiding, of submitting to what God is trying to do, how he's, how he's living with you and in you and remaining in you. So a man plants a vineyard for a different reason than he plants a flower garden. Plant flowers so that we can look at them and it's pretty and then they go away for a season and then they come back. Are those called perennials? I don't know. I probably just shot in the dark there. But if you plant a vineyard, your purpose is to harvest a crop of grapes, of fruit. Your goal is that your vineyard would bear a lot of fruit so that you could eat a lot of grapes or make a lot of wine, whatever your stick is. If it all produces If all it produces is flowers and leaves, your efforts in planting have failed. But God has planted his vine, Jesus, and is is using the branches, you, to bear fruit for his glory in this world. So today, John's words should cause us all to ask, am I bearing fruit for his kingdom? Am I joyfully submitting to his loving pruning in my life? Am I daily abiding in Christ, making him at home in my heart? That's the purpose for which he saved you, to bear fruit for his glory. And I want to implore you to do not live for anything else. And if you're struggling to do that, I would personally love to walk with you through that. Caleb would personally love to walk with you through that. And I know there are multiple other members that would love to walk with you through that. Live for the purpose for which God has saved you, to bear much fruit for his glory. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can come to you in the Bible, in Scripture, to experience you, to understand your heart for us, and to grow closer to you. God, I ask that your words today do remain in us, that they do um, live in us, and that we can embrace this abiding, remaining relationship with you, God. And thank you for remaining with us. Um, Stay with us after we worship today, and um, accept our worship as pleasing um, to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.